Hi, welcome back to another episode of Behind Startup Lines. In this show, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. Uh, so far, we've heard from four great founders who have given us some fantastic insights into what it's taken them to build their companies. And I thought we'd take a moment just to recap on some of the key lessons and maybe uh, add a few more lessons that I've learned working with a broad range of startups uh, over the last 10 plus years. This is Phil Guest, and welcome to Behind Startup Lines. So first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you to all of the founders that have joined me so far on this show. Um, that's Stephen Platt, founder of Riskgreen, John Taylor, founder of Action.ai, Tim Ward, founder of Think Cyber, and Marcus Ginn, founder of Adozo. Thank you to all of them for being so open and honest about the challenges of building an early stage business from a commercial perspective. And we've learned a lot. We've also seen a lot of similarities in the areas that perhaps trouble early stage companies as they build momentum. Things like understanding the importance of the value proposition and the market that you're going after. So we've learned a ton of stuff listening to these founders, and they've picked out some of the challenges that early stage businesses find as they're starting to build momentum. Not least with the importance of understanding your market and the value proposition. John, if you remember, discussed the challenge of finding differentiation in complex markets with complex tech. And Stephen also discussed the importance of deeply understanding and articulating the what, how and why of business. We're really crucial in differentiating your proposition, particularly in complex markets. We also heard founders talking about what was the best way to identify the right markets and what are the entry points that you start with to build the commercial side of your business. Value proposition is often one of the first building blocks that early stage companies have to think about. And there are some great tools out there that can help you with this. Uh, there's something built by uh, the guys who created the business model canvas. They have one called the value proposition canvas. And I found it to be a really good tool for stepping back and having a look at really what the problems are or the jobs trying that these customers that we want to sell to are trying to get done. And my learnings from building many value propositions and many go-to-market strategies is really that you start that process from the customer viewpoint. I'd seen it when businesses start from the product side. They, they build a product because they believe they, they've discovered a, a great way to solve a problem. But if you look at the history of startups across the world, you'll find many failures that have built products that really the market doesn't need, doesn't want, isn't ready for. So the journey has to start from the customer side. And what I love about the value proposition matrix is that it starts with what job is the customer trying to get done and what are they trying to achieve and what are they trying to avoid by getting that job done? And that's an, an emotional level as well as it is a professional level. So for instance, you know, not, not getting fired for hiring your solution to solve the problem is a good example of an emotional one. 
once you've got a good understanding of that side of the equation, then you can start looking at the product and you can start looking at the features and you can look at the gains those features give or the pains that they remove. But where I've seen a lot of companies struggle in this area is if they don't spend time early on defining that value proposition. And I think we heard from all the founders on the show so far, this is a really important part of your go-to-market strategy. Another area that came up in the discussion with Marcus was this idea of discovering product market fit and product development when you're being influenced by your customers. And Marcus was saying at the time that you want to avoid building features that one customer will use. You've really got to consider the overall market uh, to prevent losing focus. And he also talked about the importance of testing products impact. Uh, and being willing to move on if it doesn't work. We've all heard this idea that we've got to be as founders prepared to you know, kill the thing we love and move on to something that is more aligned with the segment or solving the problem in a different way. And Marcus really highlighted that when we had his conversation. But all the founders really stress the need to be adaptable and to work closely with clients, particularly to refine your product roadmap, because clients can be really helpful in identifying what features need to be developed, what technologies need to be adopted, uh, and even what order your feature and product development roadmap should be shaped. But the cautionary word here, I think, from the founder so far was don't build for a single customer, don't get too tied into defining your proposition and your product to that customer because you're really narrowing yourself into a, a cul-de-sac. We heard founders as well talk a lot about sales strategy and execution, something very close to my heart. Stephen mentioned the importance that salespeople shouldn't be wasting their energy on conversations that don't result in a good return. And he also warned about the dangers of overselling. Marcus, too, highlighted the importance of tracking sales team performance and setting targets and incentives early on. And that can be quite difficult when you don't know what KPIs to measure or you don't even have the data coming into your business. I think the key takeaway for me here was set yourself some goals, set yourself some measurements, start measuring as soon as possible, and then adapt as you go, because the measurements, the KPIs, you'll discover what matters in the full course of time. But one of the key themes that I heard from all the discussions so far is the significance of being truthful and not overselling. This idea that you've got to be able to deliver what you've promised is crucial, particularly when you're building confidence in the early days. You know, this is not about you overselling the proposition and then trying to figure out how to deliver it. It really is about being straight up about what your product can do today and what you're looking for it to do in the future. And when you're talking to customers who feel like they must have certain features to make a decision to buy you, I would challenge them as to why that's so important and what time frame do they need it. And when they have that feature, how is it going to affect the outcome that they're looking to achieve? Because customers sometimes can be very quick to demand things, thinking that that's what they're going to use. But in reality, they don't. And you've got to challenge that. So being truthful, not overselling, definitely listening to prospects. Uh, these were key themes that we heard from the conversation so far. Another area that is very close to my heart is, and 
you could say to this podcast is the role of content and thought leadership. Tim, if you remember, who's a reluctant seller at Think Cyber, he shared his experience of using LinkedIn as, as a thought leadership platform to attract people. And he noted that sharing a mixture of professional and personal content really helped him come across as much more real and much more human. And that helped him connect with his audience. I think content is absolutely crucial, particularly if you're solving a problem that perhaps the prospects are not aware can, that can be solved in a certain way, or that there are technologies, tools, systems available that perhaps they haven't thought of. Our job in the early days of selling is to educate and inform our prospects. Uh, and we do that through content. And content can have many different forms, uh, whether it's newsletters, podcasts, whether it's videos, whether it's white papers, webinars. Figure out which of those is likely to resonate most with your audience and go ahead and, and have a go with it. I'm late to doing a podcast when I started off with a newsletter that many people said, you should turn that into a podcast. Well, now podcasts are very popular. Uh, here we are building that. And thanks to your following and your support, we're seeing the listenership of this grow. So pick a content platform and use that to get your thought leadership across to your intended audience. So next on the takeaways from shows so far, we heard people talk a lot about hiring and people and culture. Stephen, if you remember, talked about recruiting people with good internal drive and communication skills, even if they don't have specific software sales or finance knowledge that he needed to build his business. Marcus also highlighted that hiring for coachability and adaptability were absolutely key in the early stages of building a team. And I often get asked by founders, what should our first sales hire look like? My response to that, and of course, it depends where you are on your sales learning curve. But generally, if you're hiring your first salesperson, I would suggest you hire somebody that can work very closely with the founder in really a capacity of what I call a bag carrier. That bag carrier is someone that will really sit alongside the founder who is still leading a lot of the sales conversations, but they are transferring knowledge as they do that. And more importantly, they have another pair of hands to follow up. So your first sales hire is the person who is making sure that all of the agreed actions are executed, that any follow-up is completed, that proposals are drafted, that they're submitted in the times that you agreed that they're followed up again to make sure that there are any questions. And when you are a founder doing the initial sales, this is really important because you need that extra pair of hands. What you can't do, though, as a founder is you can't abdicate responsibility for selling in the early days. You have to be the one that gets out there and talks to customers because there is no better way than you finding out whether or not your technology product service solution is solving the problem that you believe people are prepared to invest and spend with you to solve. There's no better way to really understand that than being out there talking to your customers directly. And I would say that even as you get bigger and more established business, as a CEO of a much larger organization, you should be talking to customers all the time. It's the part of my job that I absolutely love. So I'm, my MO is to go into early stage companies 
and to help them build their go-to-market strategies, but not with a traditional consultative model where you said, well, here's the deck, off you go, you do this. I get my hands dirty by getting involved. And one of the things I love most is talking to customers. So I will go and I'll sit down and I'll really try and understand what job you were trying to get done. How were you doing it before? And how can we make a difference? And if you do buy our technology, more importantly, what's the outcome? What's the impact of being able to use this new solution that we're introducing you to, to solve that problem? So people and culture, really important. Um, hiring for people who can be that bad carrier, but also culturally making sure that you're hiring people that believe what you believe. There are a lot of very young, energetic, intelligent people out there that will join you on this journey. And few will ever get the opportunity to work closely with an innovator or a creative like the idea person who founded a company. So find someone as your first sales hire who can do that and take them all the way through the journey with you. And Stephen talked about this guy, Mark, who I know well myself. Mark was his first hire, but knew nothing about the sector in which they were operating. What's interesting is to watch that guy grow because I see even recently he's now has an industry certification which means he's probably even more important to Stephen's organization because he understands the customer's viewpoint having been certified in the industry. And that, for me, is a real signal of strong salespeople because they're constantly evolving, they're constantly learning, they're investing in themselves. And that's what I would look for when hiring that first salesperson. That's what Marcus related to when he said it's about coachability, it's about adaptability. Uh, he also talked about the importance of building a team with the right attitude uh, and values, again, was a strong theme that came across uh, from everyone that we spoke about. The next insight that I would take away from the conversation so far is something that I've seen growing in this current market at the moment, and that's the importance of strategic partnerships. All the founders we spoke to stressed the value of partnerships, whether it was to help differentiate or to fill product gaps or to scale the business or even just establish new connections. Or partnerships could be really quite useful as well as learning opportunities from experienced peers. They're all absolutely crucial for being able to force multiply your access to the market. So John mentioned how partnerships can help differentiate and fill product gaps and help scale the business. And many of the founders we've spoken to so far noted the importance of identifying potential partners who can supply to the same beneficiaries and have the same resources to collaborate. I've spoken to another founder recently who has really done very well on the strategic partnership front. Yeah, he's going to be a guest on the show in the next uh, couple of months. He's been able to use strategic partnerships to build several businesses. And the key takeaway from that discussion was that you had to be making a material difference to the partner's bottom line, either to their gross turnover or to their net profit. And he talked about be 10% contributing to gross value or 10% uh, contributing to their uh, net profits, because that's then going to make you a valued partner. But I do see the importance of partnerships growing, and I'm starting to see many more specialists emerging in the market 
that can help you grow that. So partner uh, specialists who know how to build those network. Which brings me on to the next point. Advisors who have been there and done it before can help your business take a leap forward in figuring out your go-to-market plan, how to execute. And this isn't just within the sales area. You could do this across technology, marketing, product. There is a host of people out there that you could tap into. And yes, you've got to find those that really know what they're talking about. But if you're part of a network, you will discover these people uh, and you will really benefit from the knowledge that they can bring at a time when you need it most, but without the commitment, the financial commitment of you taking a risk and hiring these people who obviously are very experienced operators and would cost a lot of money to bring into the company. We also heard John and Tim talk about the value of accelerators. Again, another great way to learn from experienced peers and also really, really good for networking opportunities. So think about advisors, think about programs, accelerator programs. I've been involved in a number of them. I speak on uh, several programs, really helping companies determine what their go-to-market is. And they can be real accelerators for knowledge and also building a network couple of last points from summing up these first four conversations. One is the importance of customer retention relationships. We heard founders emphasize the importance of retaining customers by ensuring that what they've bought works and delivers value. And we also heard them discuss the significance of building relationships and maintaining trust over time. Tim, I think, said it very succinctly. He was a reluctant salesperson. He was not a bombastic salesperson. He was somebody that really builds relationship with his customers. And having been to an event that he hosted recently and just seen the interaction he has with both uh, existing customers and future customers, there is uh, oh, such a lovely way in which they're doing business because everybody is in the same boat. Everybody needs what he's built. And everyone is talking uh, intelligently about solutions that will help them achieve the job. And of course, Tim, through his thought leadership, and remember, Tim is the guy that was posting on LinkedIn every day for six weeks. That's the challenge that I sent, set him. They're doing very, very well now. They've built up a following. They've built up trust. They've built up a customer base. But I guess this is one of the key takeaways that I hear from all the conversations so far, is that when you're building this business, it takes far longer to gain momentum than perhaps you feel it should. Now, I'm feeling this firsthand myself. After years of being the lead commercial person and working with many different early stage companies, I've decided that I'm building my own product specifically around this challenge of what does a good go-to-market plan look like? How can I stay on plan? How do I know that I'm doing the right things? And I've been working on this for, well, the idea for six months really the product for three. And I'm probably only halfway there to figuring out what this proposition is. Never mind started to write the first line of code. When I've written that code, and then I go to market, finding those customers that want to buy the solution that I believe solves a very real problem will take longer. And we heard that from all of the founders. It took far longer than they expected to get those first customers. All I would say to you is don't give up faith. It will happen. 
I've watched these companies that we've talked to so far grow. I've been connected with them for many years and seen really what their early stage starting point was. Stick at it. You will be amazed how, when you look back at one day, how far you have come. And it does eventually come because if you've solved the problem that people are prepared to pay you to solve or pay you to uh, provide a service or solution for, you will find that customer. And what we'll talk about more in the forthcoming episodes is we'll look at some of the tactics and some of the uh, ways of operating that could help you get there quicker. For those of you that know my background, I left school at the age of 17. Shortly afterwards, I joined the Royal Marines and served uh, in the frontline commando unit uh, and other roles for just shy of five years. And it was my transition later on in, in my life. So I had a career in a corporate career in media. It was very successful in that. And then I transitioned to startup life. And it was this awareness that hit me one day in the first startup that I worked for. It was a small seven-person startup. We were working in Tech Hub out of Old Street, the old uh, Silicon Roundabout in the early days. And I couldn't understand why I felt so comfortable in this environment where everything was really fluid. And by that, I mean, you had to do jobs that were not part of your responsibility, that whatever plans you thought you had, it never kind of worked out the way that you thought it should. Um, and that's really where I got this idea to do the podcast. You know, this whole idea that as startup founders, we operate behind enemy lines, disrupting industries. We are parachuted into these situations where we know our plans are not going to survive first contact with the market. That once we're in the scenario, we have to think on our feet. We have to improvise, adapt, and overcome to achieve our objective. And that objective could be you know, an acquisition, trade sale, IPO. It can be many different things. But our goal is to get ourselves to that point of extraction and from then on uh, grow from there. And that's really where I got the idea of doing this podcast. Uh, it's all really about what it takes to build businesses when you're operating behind the lines. And as I said, I found this similarity between life in the commandos being very similar to life in a startup. And I know that I found the thing that I'm passionate about and that I really enjoy. And this podcast is a manifestation of that. This is designed to help you early stage founders that perhaps just need a little bit of help and guidance from those that have been there before you. You might be a serial entrepreneur who has hit a wall with the current market conditions or the product or even some of your strategy. And this podcast is really designed to help you think about strategy and tactics that can help you push through. So look, that's my wrap up of the first four conversations so far. If you're a founder that has a story about building your business and want to talk about the commercial aspects, please get in touch because I'd love to have a chat with you. If you're a commercial person that is learning from what it takes to work with successful founders to build commercial momentum, I'd love to hear from you about your experiences as well. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode of Behind Startup Lines. And if you like what you hear, hit the rating. Give me five stars. Thank you very much. And more importantly, tell other people. There are lots of founders out there that are finding it really tough at the moment, not least because securing funding is hard, 
getting great people to work with you, make sure that you can deliver on the, the plan. So whatever you can do to help somebody else, and if it's sharing this podcast, please do. My name is Phil Guest. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you today, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.